The ritual of courtship has really changed in the last century and a half. Welcome everyone to another round of the Mere Models book reviews. My name is Karen. I do these book reviews for those who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality to get insightful knowledge from the books that they're reading. And today we have one which is a lot around social human interactions. And as I mentioned on courtship, it is indeed Henry James's The Portrait of a Lady. This book was published in 1881 and it's got about 600 pages to it. So it's fairly hefty. It's a fictional tale, although very, very realistic, of love set in the 19th century. And we follow Isabel Archer, who is a, I'd say, a middle-class uh, American woman, very beautiful, very graceful. She's very young as well. I think when we first meet her, she's in her late teens. And she gets an opportunity from her aunt to travel the world to experience what the world has to offer. And from there, we see the the plot revolving and it's basically a suit of bachelors all vying for her attention and the interactions between her and them and I guess the new world that she is thrust into coming over into Europe and seeing everything that Europe has to offer, mostly being set in England and then also in Italy. The central thread of the story is of Isabel and so she is basically in every scene and even if she isn't in the scene, it's usually two characters who are talking about her in the scene. There's probably 12 to 15 central characters in total. We have some on the outskirt, but I would say there's 12 to 15 who are named. Of that, the majority are men and then of the bachelors, they are the most important ones and they are making their love to Isabel, as it said in the book. There's the lovemaking, the courtship rituals that are going on. Touching upon the author and how the book was created, it was originally published as a serial in a newspaper. So you can see that the chapters are rather standalone. You don't particularly need the preceding chapters to fully understand. You can sort of just have a vague knowledge and be like, oh, okay, I, I get it. It's uh, it's rather easy to, to read individual chapters and, and have a, a cutoff point. We can also see that Henry James's life reflects some of the characters somewhat in the book. He was an American who traveled to Europe and became a European native, I believe, in England. And so this reflects the story of the book or what's the setting in the book, at least, of how these characters are translating from one place, i.e. America, and then overseas to, to Europe and other places like that. We've actually done a book review here on the channel before of one of Henry James's works before. This was The Turn of the Screw and The Aspen Papers, a combined book of those two short stories. So if you want to know more about Henry James, I would also recommend to, to go to that video and you'll, you'll see that linked. Although there are many themes in this book, I'm really just going to focus on one. And this is societal expectations, damned if you do and damned if you don't. And I think the thing I'm going to try and get at here right at towards the end is, are these useful? Are societal expectations useful? But I want to focus on what's going on in the book first. And we can see that there does seem to be a bit of a paradoxical nature to these expectations of the time and we'll focus on what was happening right around then. So you can see this with many ways. One, for example, is women traveling individually. So she had the money, Isabel Archer, she was gifted some money and uh, she would, had then had the opportunity to fill this desire to uh, know the world, I guess. I'm 
pretty sure she uses words very similar to that effect in the book. And so you can see, oh, she's kind of discouraged. No, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be traveling alone. And then there's another character, Henrietta Stackpole, her friend, who also travels the world. And But with her, it's seen more as a good thing. It's like, oh, yes, yes, uh, she gets to, to do this. She's independent. Uh, it's okay. So you can sort of see like, there's many times where I would say the characters are, are screwed no matter what they do. You can see this with the courtship as well. So she's rejecting some of her suitors and people are going, oh, that's no, you're never going to get an opportunity like that again. And yet if she latched onto one of the suitors, then immediately it would be like, oh, she's only in it for the money or the status or whatnot. It's like she was kind of screwed no matter what happened. And another one was uh, staying in an unhappy relationship. You could see this with the Countess or Osmond was, uh, well, her previous name was Osmond and she's in an unhappy relationship, but she somewhat has to stay in it. And Isabel has a, a choice to make with herself as well. Should she stay in an unhappy relationship or not? It's very dramatic and very just hard to pin down as to what society expected of a of a woman of particularly for Isabel because the book is focused on her from that time should she do this or should she do that and it seemed that no matter what she did she was in for a rough ride because there would always be people gossiping and talking and saying oh no she shouldn't have done that she should have done this etc etc I thought this rather strange at first because I was going well what's the point of societal expectations if they're super paradoxical if you do this and you're screwed if you do this and you're screwed what's the point of having them why doesn't everyone just you know blow them off and I think the thing is you could maybe view them as a test so what sort of things would the societal expectations test for well I wrote down a couple of qualities here that I think would be useful because maybe it seems paradoxical from the outside but if you dive down into an individual circumstance i.e. Isabel's you can see, oh, you know what? She really should have acted in this way due to this many qualities and this uh, decisions and this would affect this. And so some of the things I would say is predictive abilities. So if you're a person with predictive abilities, you could say, if I make that decision, if I marry that man, this is going to happen. I'm going to miss out on these opportunities, but maybe I'll gain these. And so you could say, oh, Societal expectations are a way of testing someone who is good at predicting what's going to happen and those who pass the test, if you will, will have better outcomes, be thought of better, be regarded better, have more status, more opportunities later in life, things like that. Another one you could say is penetrative analysis. So being able to look at a situation which is rather complex, this person doesn't like that, she's in fond of this guy but her friend also is as well and there's going to be conflict between them but they are going on vacation together next week etc <laughs> etc et so i would say being able to really look at the relationships between people and being penetrative with your analysis and saying hmm no that's that's correct that's a oh i should watch out for that that could be a speed bump down the road things like that another one interpersonal charm this is something that can be worked on so you might have a disposition that is not particularly friendly at first but you can work on that you can work on having more interesting conversations knowing when to talk and when not to talk when to allow someone to talk or when to uh, you know how much to push back how much to be accommodating you can see there's a lot of wit in this book there's people very very witty and you don't just become witty some people naturally are but I would argue that most you can work on being witty, you can work on being funny, you can work on being more charming. And so societal expectations, how does that come into this? Well, if you increase your charm and your your likability, if, if you will, then you can see, oh, okay, this person's going to have 
more relations they're going to be able to get away with more things perhaps so they could make some mishaps but people will go like oh that's okay it's part of his charm it's part of his nature we'll, we'll forgive that another one is character fortification and and this could be you're having some situations where it is particularly rough and and hard on you i.e maybe you're a widow in this time and it's not your fault that your husband died from pneumonia or whatever it is, but that is still viewed as a not so great position to be in. Let's just say that, especially if you have children. And so you're going to have to fortify your character. You're going to have to make yourself immune to some gossiping and to some people talking shit about you behind your back. And I would just say from the paradoxical nature of what it seemed that no matter what a person does in that time, you're going to have some gossip going either way. I would say maybe it just appears like that from the surface level, but when you dig down into it, you could say, yes, that she made the the right choice or 90%, 99% of people would say she made the right choice in that situation, even though that goes against the common dictum of the time or the common perception of what a lady should do or what a gentleman should do. Another aspect of societal expectations is whether it takes into account things that are unchangeable, i.e. someone's nature or something that is physically impossible to change. So let's take a look at some of these that occurred in the book and we can give it a yes or a no and see were people empathetic, sympathetic towards this or whether they judged a person harshly because of it. Number one, I would say is Ralph and Ralph's sickness. So Ralph was the uh, cousin of Isabel and he had a pneumonia or tuberculosis or something very wrong with him where he was dying a slow death. He couldn't be in damp climates because it would affect his lungs and he would be uh, very, very sick. You could see he got a lot of leeway because of this. People would uh, permit him to speak his mind more. They would be more careful with him. They would treat him a bit nicer perhaps than maybe was due him. And so you could see, okay, yeah, people are kind of cool with that. We'll give him some some leeway on that respect. What about Henrietta's independence? So this is Isabel's friend. She was a very independent girl, very uh, striking and very confident in her manner, very argumentative. She was a journalist, so she was writing things about people, writing scoops and maybe misportraying people in her newspapers and things like this. And you could see with her independent nature, I would say that was something inherent with her. She could try and conform, but with her nature, it was never going to work out. And no, she didn't get much leeway. People would uh, make comments about her. You could see that she was restricted from certain things, that she was not invited to certain things. I, Mr. Bantling's sister refused to, or well, we assume refused to uh, invite her and learn more about the English uh, aristocracy and things like this. So that's one where I would say no. Another is Rosie's wealth. So this was a young gentleman vying for the attention of Pansy, who was the daughter of uh, Mr. Osmond. And you could see with her that his, his wealth was, whilst adequate, his social standing was perhaps not the best compared to some other people like Lord War, War, Warburton, Warburton, not really sure how you pronounce that. And you could see, even though he did his utmost best to make himself more wealthy, to improve his societal 
uh, standing, which you would say you're kind of born into in that time. You don't really get a choice to be able to move up. Or if you do, it's it's only like maybe a one level or a slide of a level or on a chance offhand thing, i.e. how was Isabel got her wealth. She was gifted in a, a fortune essentially. And you could see no, people were not accommodating with that, uh, something that was rather unchanging, even though he was deeply in love with Pansy. Didn't particularly matter. His uh, his wealth was not worthy enough. His social standing was not worthy enough. How about something like Pansy's weakness? So this was Pansy, and we're, we're talking directly of her character now, where she was raised and put in a situation where she had to be very meek and very mild. She was raised in a convent with nurses, so um, uh, not nurses, uh, with <laughs> with nuns. And she was essentially obliging to everyone. If everyone had a request of her, she would be the first one to jump to it. You know, Say jump, okay, how high? And she would try and please everyone. She would do everything she could. And this was somewhat viewed as a, a strength of hers, but also as a weakness. And people were very accommodating with that. So if they, you know, said, oh, she's not taking enough actions to make herself happy to, uh, let's just say, make the world a better place, even if she, you know, she was just very meek and mild and she would only do what people would say. Oh, she, she was very uh, unimaginative. She just didn't have thoughts of her own, really. She was just reacting to everything. But people were accommodating with this. They were just saying, oh, you know, it's it's Pansy's nature. This was, was how she, raised, she was raised and would give her credit for something that I, I think a lot of people nowadays would say, oh, you know, sh- there's no initiative there. There's no confidence. There's no, it's just a person uh, almost like a, a victim, a continual victim because everything that happened to her, you know, happened to her and she didn't try and to make things better or to put her own stamp on on her own life. So it's funny, I guess you could say the societal expectations were a mixed bag. If it was something that seems, at least from my point of view, relatively unchanging, the society, the expectations of, of how people tr- people treated one another, so not even just the expectations, but the actions from that, how they actually treated them, didn't seem to be particularly standard it seemed to be like oh we'll forgive this thing but that thing nah nah we will we don't accept that another question that was raised for me was was this worse for men or was this worse for women the book is told from isabel's point of view roughly well not from her point of view but looking at her and outside observers writing on their lives and can peer into their innermost thoughts and and see what they're thinking feeling and this can be of all the characters but the book is focused on her. And so you can see that she is restricted in many, many ways. She's not allowed to go against the wishes of her husband. And if she does, it's, a, you know, almost a, a catalyst for something worse than divorce. You know, death would almost be preferable. You can see with uh, her being allowed to travel travel alone, with what time she's allowed to have parties, with um, being able to be alone with a man is only al- allowable under certain circumstances. And, you know, people have to be guarded. Pansy has to be uh, sheltered somewhat. And so you could see that there's a lot of restrictive nature on the women. I would also argue that there was some for the men. So men had to, you know, they had to be wealthy, essentially. They had to be uh, the the caretakers. They had to be the ones who were 
um, doing all the courting. So they were the ones who had to be super witty. They had to be the ones entertaining the women. There was many things that the men had to do, but I would say from you know what you can just see from the outside that it was probably a bit more restrictive on women, especially on the material sense of them being able to move out in the world and have independence because they were pretty much relying all the time on a man for either his wealth or protection or um, you know traveling alone in a railway carriage a man would have to go out of his way to to protect her so yes that's a uh, inconvenient for her and then also for the man as well and um, so on both of them, yes, but I would say probably it was, was a bit more worse for women in, in that time. Before summing up my general thoughts on societal expectations, I wanted to do a quick comparison of back in those times, so roughly 150 years ago, and then compare that to our modern times and how different are they, how similar are they. And I would say they're pretty damn similar. There doesn't seem to be too much different from what I can tell in the grand scheme of things. Yes, particular aspects have changed. So how a woman is expected to dress, whether she is allowed to um, you know, be alone in this certain place with a man, for example, that's still quite different. But the things that really seem the same travel throughout. So the how people are treated via their, their gender, so whether you're a man or woman, you know, there are still expectations nowadays of, of women having to particularly dress up for things where a man doesn't particularly have to where a person will be treated in a bar it's usually the onus is on the man to hit on the woman to to begin the courtship the the ritual i guess of courtship if you want to put it like that it's still class-based as well so people from the upper class are expected to do these certain things and if they break that mold they're they're not allowed to i, I would say you know i'm speaking in generalities here but i would still say that Societal expectations are still as strong, if not even stronger nowadays with regards to some things like advertising. So let's just say in those times, a woman was maybe not expected to look uh, like a particular, have a particular body shape. But nowadays with advertising and how much stuff is just pushed in front of your face with magazines, with ads on YouTube or your you know, phone or social media, whatever it is you do get a, a, an expectation of what a, a woman should look like, whether, you know, what is defined as sexy or what is defined as whatever. So I would say that those expectations are, are still strong and alive today. Yes, they've changed somewhat, but we're, I wouldn't even say that we're particularly freer from them than we were back then, which gets me to my last point. Is, is it good or is, is it bad? Are societal expectations good or bad? I would probably say that they're good in some ways. So the ways you can see this is that it's a good for keeping order. So it's acceptable in making someone know what the rules are with some caveats, you know, the paradoxical nature being one of those, Oh, how should I react in this situation? I'm not too sure. Um, okay. I, I don't know what to do here. But when you know the rules, when you can sort of play along with them, it's good for keeping order. So, you know, if I go to a bar, for example, I know what people are ex roughly expected to do. I'm not going to get surprised or I'm not going to be in danger there or have an interaction which is upsetting or unsettling to me. So there's still a lot of those and you can still see those just walking around in the streets. You know, you're still expected to wear clothes, for example. You're still expected to do all sorts of things. So those I would say are 
are there and they're acceptable as long as you can choose which one. So if you don't want to play the, the game of wearing clothes, for example, you could go to a nudist colony. That's totally fine. You can set up your own one. So I think societal expectations are good in, in keeping order, but they're only good as long as you get to choose which ones you want to obey with. So if you want to you know, do something that's maybe a bit more out of the ordinary, pick your nose, for example, maybe you should try and change that or go to a place where that is acceptable and not be forced into it via the general at large scale that we have here. Um, this is a hard one because there are some things which you could probably say morally that you shouldn't do, i.e. hurt someone else, um, those sorts of things. Those expectations, are maybe this is getting more into laws, for example, and that's, I would say, a bit of a different thing. So in my just general broad view of, of what I was getting from this book, it was really fascinating to see what was expected of a person and how they would behave with that in, in the times of the late 19th century. And then knowing that, you know what, it's still kind of similar to today. It's changed somewhat in the regards to particularities. But as a whole, I would say that we are not freer of the expectations of society than the women and when men were from that time. It still seems just as oppressive, I guess, if you want to use that word, or just as strict or harsh, different but strict and harsh maybe the only thing we have nowadays is that we have more freedom of movement we have the ability to move country and go somewhere else where there are different expectations from society so you can choose your poison maybe a bit more easily than you could back in the 19th century okay on to my personal observations and takeaways i really like the clever plot twists and almost the defying expectations that came with this book so there were some certainties that you were expected to run throughout the book and that were built up in the earlier sections because this book is long enough that they get a real depth of the character and there's not too many characters. So Isabel, for example, her free spirit and independence is is somewhat quashed and I was not expecting that. I was expecting her to remain free spirited throughout the book and she has to make certain decisions in her life and you're always on the balance as to whether she will make that decision or not make it and she does vary between them and so you're kind of left guessing like oh is she going to do the independent rebellious thing in this case or is she going to uh, become more demure and and follow the societal expectations of the time or what uh, her husband is dictating and things like this Another one is that the main character, or one of the main characters, I guess you could say, is is shown to be this you know, perfect, faultless, charming. She, uh, they do not have a fault at all, and then you can see that they actually turn out to be one of the more despicable characters with the the plot twist at the end, which I won't won't uh, reveal here. You can see, wow, this person who was built up as this you know epitome of of good standing and grace actually underneath the surface when you dig down to it is a real piece of shit so that was just really cool seeing how these would constantly change throughout the book and uh, it really did leave you wondering oh what's going to come next to counter all of this praise i've been giving it though it did seem unrealistic in quite a few ways and so a couple of points really jumped out at me one was the mind reading or the penetrative abilities that I was talking about earlier. They seem to have this in abundance. They really seem to be able to 
fully comprehend something from just the flick of a hair or the twitch of an eye or the tone of a voice and you know then they would spend three pages of this book in their own heads thinking ah this explains this thing about this person and I could really see that this was happening and this is going to result in this and this makes me feel this way and you're like whoa geez man like they might have just sneezed or something you like you have no idea what's going on there so they did seem to have this mind reading capability that I found to be rather silly um and I assume the world doesn't work this way this could just be me not getting it but it did seem to have too much of this continual diving into a person's mind and being able to read social situations to the nth degree that I thought was a a bit silly and didn't really make too much sense. Another one was that there was no outburst in this book. Everyone was mild-mannered to say the least. And they, whilst there was charm and wit and love and, um, you know, dislike and things like that, no one really burst out and considering that these emotions were were coming out and you know they were professing love or making love to each other as they were saying in the book no one really made an outburst the one exception of this is right at the end with uh mr mr casper goodwood and his uh devotion to isabel which continues throughout the book you can see him make a, a dramatic gesture but other than that no one really does anything it's it's really just bland in a way and i was thinking man people would be going off (laughs) if this was a real situation people would be screaming at each other throwing plates there would be you know there's a couple of moments of weeping but it's you know a quiet weeping on the side it's not an outburst and uh yeah i just found it rather strange i was thinking meh this this ties in more with my personality for sure because I'm not into outbursts but the way that I see the world and other people in it I just went man there's too many people involved with this not to be have complex emotions that are really you know just unable to contain being burst forth the last one was one of these particular scenes where I just thought man the the communication style and maybe this contributes to the the poor marriage that Isabel had with uh, Mr. Osborn and on uh, page 463 you can see that there was zero communication between them and that a break was irreconcilable and so I'll just read out a, a small passage here to break with Osman once would be to break forever. Any open acknowledgement or irre- irreconcilable needs would be an admission that their whole attempt had proved a failure. For for them, there could be no condonement, no compromise, no easy forgetfulness, no formal readjustment. And that just made me think, man, what kind of marriage have you got there where you would have a single difference of opinion and that is boom, we're done. We're, we, we can't make this work. We're going to have to break forever. This is uh, unacceptable. And I was just like, okay, maybe that's true, but uh, maybe that is actually how people behave and it probably would explain why their marriage was so shit. But I just thought, man, this this seems over, overly dramatic as well to to have a, a break, a, you know, a marriage dissolution, a formal... I'm never going to live with this person ever again just because of one argument, just because she wants to see her cousin. Whew, that's uh, that's pretty rough and that that seems a bit silly to me. My last observation is that I really like Ralph. I really connected with him. I thought he was a, a really fascinating character. 
maybe because he embodies some of the spirits or you know i could sort of see myself in him but he just struck me from the first as being really funny even though he's sick and ailing he has a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge and just seemed like a, a a genuinely nice character a kind character in the book he didn't have hatred for anyone and even if he disliked someone he would still try and overcome that and give them the benefit of the doubt and be nice to them and and things like that and uh, I I thought that was just a a really a nice character to see in a book and uh, there was particularly on page 48 he had this one scene where he was talking with Isabel and she was really just meeting him for the first time and they were talking about this house and, and the ghost in the house and he says this to her I might show it to you, but you'd never see it. The privilege isn't given to everyone. It's not enviable. It has never been seen by a young, happy, innocent person like you. You must have suffered first, have suffered greatly, have gained some miserable knowledge. In that way, your eyes are open to it. I saw it long ago. And so he was talking there about how his own suffering gave him some insight, gave him some knowledge in a way that um, would maybe not be enviable, but is something new and something that only he and other people who have you know suffered I guess like him could really be able to relate to and to to express and uh yeah there was just many scenes like that in the book where I was like hmm he's got it he's he's got it figured out so in summary this was a perfect book for some lazy nighttime reading it has a manageable amount of characters but the book is long enough that it can get into depth and provide some real Uh, quality in the characters and you can see yourself liking some disliking some and trying to predict what will happen and uh, I found that rather fun I enjoyed doing that apart from the semi-strange conversation and communication styles that some had the rest of the book the the scenes the plot line the descriptions of the nature and things like that I I really enjoyed that the setting of being in Europe and describing of uh, certain aspects that were only seen from that time you know it's a blast from the past almost uh it was it was really top notch and it was it was really cool to see how the middle to upper class lived in that time overall i'm giving the book a a solid six out of ten i enjoyed it uh just wouldn't say that it was going to be imprinting and be something that i'm i'll keep coming back to again and again just an enjoyable book and so that is it for today my mere mortalites thank you for joining me to this part of the audio of henry james's the portrait of a lady what are your thoughts on the book itself on henry james's style of writing the final plot twist at the end did isabel make the right choice was her choice actually transparent or was other things going on behind the scenes i would love to know all of those the way to do this would be to send me a boostergram. So if you go to newpodcastapps.com, use the value for value. This is a value for value podcast. So I really do appreciate where you could um, stream some micro payments to me to show your appreciation for the podcast. This can't go on without your help and your effort to to make this podcast better, but also to you know provide me the the living style to be able to continue living in the world updating the uh, the feeds the you know maintenance stuff all of these things that go on behind the scenes it, it really does help me if you can help contribute to the show so other than that i i do really hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world Karen out <laughs>